We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Thank you so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate in discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you, and more than likely, what Lucille Starr may have considered a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I'm covering a listener-requested Canadian paranormal hotspot, but before jumping into that, I need to spill what I need a distraction from this week. As always, if you have a need for a distraction that you'd like for me to read on air, whether you need a distraction from your kids or maybe because everything is so expensive and it's that giving time of year where you're probably buying a lot of gifts or trying to buy a lot of gifts, that's stressful, feel free to send it my way by either DMing me or sending me an email. In terms of my need for a distraction this week, I would have to say, and I'm not going to name names, but I think one of my favorite podcasts might be coming to an end, and I'm really sad about it. I didn't think anything was wrong until I stumbled upon a couple comments on a Facebook post, which then led me to a Reddit post, a couple Reddit posts actually, and I try to stay away from Reddit because I find Reddit is very overwhelming and scary, which is kind of ironic because one of my other favorite shows is Reddit on Wiki. But yeah, I'm devastated. I learned a lot, potentially. I don't know how accurate it all is, but I learned a lot last night and I'm a little bummed. So hopefully they don't break up. I find it a little heartbreaking in the sense that I don't know about all of you tuning in, but when I got into podcasts, I found that it really helped distract me from things that were going on in my life. It helped my long commutes that I used to have. And overall, it just has become such a big part of my life that There are certain shows that I would consider my comfort shows, and this show is one of them, so hopefully things pan out for them. And yeah, I think having said that, let's get into this week's distraction so that I can hopefully give you the same feeling that my comfort shows give to me. As mentioned in the intro, this week's distraction is a listener-requested one, so shout out to Amy, who suggested the Riverview Hospital in Coquitlam, British Columbia. Amy had messaged me about this location a while ago and mentioned how one of her coworkers used to work at Riverview, which apparently has quite the reputation of being haunted and a pretty dark history. It feels as though it's been a hot minute since we got together to talk about a former haunted psychiatric hospital, especially one out of Canada. So I thought, hey, tis the season. Let's talk about it now. As always, I'll cover the history of Riverview before diving into some occult observations. And then finally, we'll get into the reported paranormal activity that is allegedly taking place at this location. Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, and other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. As mentioned, this week's episode takes us to Coquitlam, British Columbia. Weirdly enough, it's actually close to where Canadian serial killer Robert Pictum is from, which listeners may recall former co-host Christy covering Robert Picton and his crimes in the beginning of Weird Distractions. Anyways, let's not get hyper-focused on Robert Picton. Let's actually learn a little bit about Coquitlam. 
It's a place I have personally never been to and a province I've yet to visit, so I wanted to learn more about the area. Originally occupied by the Coast Salish indigenous peoples, Coquitlam is the sixth largest city in the province with a population of close to 150,000 people in 2021. Now, I think it goes without saying that a highly populated area such as Coquitlam will always benefit from having mental health and or addiction-based treatment options to help those in their community who are in need of such support. From my understanding, Coquitlam in particular is currently home to the Redfish Healing Center for Mental Health and Addiction. But before Redfish, there was Riverview. Back in the early 1900s, Coquitlam residents that were struggling from untreated mental health conditions, addictions, or other ailments that society was uncertain of how to deal with were often sent to Royal Hospital in Victoria, which is over three hours away by car from Coquitlam, making it quite the hike. Royal Hospital eventually would become overpopulated, Mixing the concerns with overpopulation at this hospital, on top of the fact that the Royal Victoria Hospital was far away from Coquitlam, it was bound time for the future city of Coquitlam to have its own facility. According to a CBC article, in 1904, the province purchased 405 hectares for the construction of Riverview Psychiatric Hospital. The purchased area was near rivers, which developers believed would be super beneficial for future patients to be near. Because, you know, nature is healing and whatnot. This wasn't a new idea that they were coming up with by any means, shape, or form. I mean, look at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs for crying out loud. And even hospitals today, you'll notice a lot of them will have their own little garden section. I think it's a really beneficial idea to have, and I can see where they were going with this one. Riverview, which was originally named the Hospital for the Mind of Mount Coquitlam, sometimes referred to as Essendale, was open in 1913. Now, Essendale, that name, came after Henry Essen Young, a former Canadian physician and political figure in British Columbia. Some accounts claim the facility was open in 1904, However, most that I came across noted it was 1913, just a little discrepancy there that some may come across in their own research. The facility would go on to have other names throughout the years, such as the Crease Clinic, Essendale, Riverview Hospital, Hospital for the Mind at Mount Coquitlam, and Colony Farm. I think most of the time, locals would just kind of rotate whatever they wanted to reference the property as. Initially, the facility of many names housed only men, offering up to 300 spaces to seriously mentally ill patients. Even though the intent was to only house 300, eventually it would quickly fill and house up to 900 patients within its first few years. Despite the overpopulation, the facility quickly would be recognized as a model of psychiatric health care, considerably one of the most progressive asylums in North America. An acute psychopathic unit referred to as Centre Lawn opened on site in 1924, followed by the opening of East Lawn in 1930, which would house female patients. So eventually, they opened up to female patients as well. As you can imagine, this place just began booming, both with patients and with staff. Patients residing at the facility that were physically able to were forced to participate in manual labor, which seemed to be a common practice across North America in both asylums and poorhouses. 
The work would take place on the property in an area called Colony Farm, where patients work to produce 700 tons of crops and 20,000 gallons of milk per year. I believe that because the patients put so much work into producing all these crops and milk and their own food and whatnot, this is why Riverview was looked at such a highlight from everybody on the outside. It was very much look what Riverview is doing. Look how great they are doing. They're becoming this small little community in a facility setting, which wasn't, again, a new idea. You would see this a lot in other facilities across North America and probably all over. But for some reason, Riverview was highlighted very highly because of this. Patients could also work at the Hospital Botanical Garden, created by British Columbia's first provincial botanist, John Davidson. By 1934, the hospital consisted of numerous buildings, such as a boys' industrial school for juvenile delinquents, the acute psychopathic unit, a female-specific building referred to as female chronic building, and a veterans' block for shell shock patients from the First World War. In total, there would be 80-some-odd buildings on site, including several massive masonry wards, hospital structures, housing, service buildings, and a cemetery, according to Canada's Historic Places website. Hyper-focusing on the cemetery for a second, it's apparently located near the back edge of the property, and the Bloody Maria WordPress site noted that it presents pretty much like any other old asylum cemetery with rows of flat markers with minimal information. It's believed that there are more than 1,000 former patients buried on the property, many in unmarked graves. By 1956, there were over 4,300 patients and 2,200 staff at the site, a large contrast to what was originally offered when the main building opened only 43 years before. In terms of treatment at the facility, some patients were reportedly subjected to shock therapy, insulin-induced comas, and hydrotherapy which was a form of treatment that included hours exposed to or blasted with hot or cold water. On top of all of this, it's also been alleged that hundreds of patients were sterilized against their will in the practice of eugenics. And a direct quote from the Nighttime podcast by Jordan Bonaparte, quote, Between 1940 and 1968, the British Columbia government had embraced eugenics, and sterilization was common at Riverview Hospital. It was believed that the sterilization of people with mental health issues, criminals, and even the poor would improve society. Most of the sterilizations occurred with female patients. In 2005, nine women who experienced this traumatic procedure were awarded $450,000, end quote. Needless to say, a lot of trauma manifested behind each door on the property. I should mention that not Every case was this horrific, but they're pointing to things not necessarily being the most positive. I'm sure there were a few cases that had a lot of positive outcomes. However, I think that gets trumped by those really heavy, negatively impacted actions that were thrusted upon patients by the staff. When the 60s came, patient numbers were declining, with some pointing to the introduction of psychiatric medications and medical hospitals opening up psychiatric wards on site to be the reason why. Not only that, but the need for psychiatric facilities such as Riverview were slowly declining, especially when more community-based options such as the Canadian Mental Health Association became more favorable and less intrusive. 
Still, multiple attempts to keep Riverview going continued to happen. By 1985, the Geriatric Psychiatry Division of Riverview Hospital was opened, which included 26 beds for temporary or acute admissions. Referencing from Wikipedia, this program had a focus on promoting social interaction and fast movement into the community and social situations. Despite this additive, among others, the funding of Riverview began slowly decreasing. Again, the focus coming from the 60s was to be able to treat people in the community and offer less intensive, less intrusive-based options there, as opposed to having this facility where the history kind of was speaking for itself. I'm sure many listeners can probably already imagine that as time went on in a more modern world, more former patients or relatives of former patients were stepping forward with the horror stories that they lived and endured while at Riverview, calling for the government just to shut down the place completely, just to end their kind of ongoing nightmare of what happened there. Hence, you might recall earlier when I mentioned that there were women who stepped forward saying that they were improperly and unjustly sterilized due to whatever reason and were awarded lump sums of money as kind of a, I guess, an apology from the British Columbia government. The facility, which was recognized as part of the Canadian Register of Historic Places in 2008, continued to function at a slow burn until July of 2012, ending its 108-year run, kind of, sort of. Because despite the Riverview Hospital being officially shut down in 2012, a handful of historic buildings on the campus are actually still in use for psychiatric treatment to this very day. Two new programs would open up in recent years, such as the 105-bed Redfish Healing Center, which focuses on treating both mental health and addictions, as well as programming through what's called Coast Mental Health. Speaking of things taking place in 2012, British Columbia Housing and the Kwikwetlem First Nations signed a protocol agreement in recognition of the Kwikwetlem's nation's ties to the lands. Since 2012, the BC government and Kwikwetlem First Nation have been reportedly working together to preserve and redevelop the land. On March 10th of 2021, the province of British Columbia and Kwikwetlem made a joint announcement on the official renaming of Riverview to Samikwaela. In referencing the Kwikwetlem First Nation website again to expand on why this name was chosen, quote, The name means place of the great blue heron. The name was given by the Kwikwetlem people based on memories and accounts of the Riverview slopes extending to before settler arrival. This name reflects the land's use as heron roosting grounds and its proximity to what was then the floodplain of the Kwikwetlem River, end quote. In terms what the future of the former psychiatric facility will look like hasn't really been made abundantly clear to me during my research. So there are some programs taking place on their property, but the total full facility, everything in between, everything on the property isn't being completely used. One March 2023 CTV News article referenced a quote from the British Columbia's Housing Director of Land Development stated, There is not a plan for its redevelopment right now. There is not a plan for what buildings will be maintained, what buildings will be removed, what kind of uses will be introduced on the site. That does not exist at this point in time. End quote. 
In summary, some buildings are being used for treatment facilities, such as the Redfish program, whereas others are kind of left to crumble as time goes on. Speaking of making use of the property, some of the vacant structures from the former hospital have been used for filming locations for shows and films, such as Watchmen, Supernatural, The X-Files, Arrow, Elf, Smallville, Happy Gilmore, Prison Break... Riverdale, Motherland, Fort Salem, The Butterfly Effect, Final Destination 2, Grave Encounters, and Deadpool 2. Apparently, Riverview Hospital Grounds are the most filmed site in all of Canada, excluding movie studios. The property is so rich in what it has to offer, and with that, let's learn what folks have to say about Riverview with some occult observations before we dive into the alleged paranormal accounts. Welcome to another segment of Occult Observations. It really hasn't been too long since we got into this fun little bit, but for those listening for the very first time ever, let me tell you what this segment is about. Essentially, with every location covered on the show, primarily the paranormal ones, I will read the good, the bad, and the downright weird reviews, aka Occult Observations, to give us a better idea of where we're learning about today. Before we dive into the observations of Riverview Hospital, I just want to remind folks that this segment does not dismiss the trauma or the darkness that took place when Riverview was functioning years ago. This segment will bring some light and laughter, but let's not forget that some bad shit went down there. This statement kind of applies to any place similar to Riverview that has had an occult observation feature. It's good to shine a light and have maybe a little laugh with what some folks have to say online, but that doesn't dismiss the awfulness that took place. Now then, let's get into some of the observations, starting off with two negative ones so we can end the segment with two positive ones. The first negative occult observation is from user Michelle L. They left this about six years ago on Google Reviews, and they left one out of five star rating. Their observation reads as follows. Its reputation is completely made up of various shades of the truth and the awful past. Very high ghost-to-human ratio, i.e. ghosts for every one living, breathing creature. End of observation. If Michelle L., who left this observation, is listening, I would love to know how you know this ratio. Like, I want the math behind it. I want the evidence behind it because that is a very specific ratio. Four to one. Four to one. That's just wild to me. The next observation, the last negative one, is from user Dan H. They left this about five years ago, again on Google Reviews, where they left one out of five stars. The observation reads as follows. No, sir, I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. If I could give negative stars, I would give it as many as I could. I get a horribly bad feeling every time I'm around it. Hell, even the grounds around it are fucked. End of observation. Needless to say, I don't think Dan will be visiting the site anytime soon. Now on to some positive observations, the first one being from user Natalie E. They left this about six years ago on Google Reviews, where they gave a 5 out of 5 star rating. The observation reads as follows. Beautiful trees and beautiful grounds. We loved Finney's garden the most. Watch out for bears, although we didn't see any. Please note, no picture taking allowed at all since it's still in use as a hospital. End of observation. 
The last occult observation, the last positive one, for matter of fact, is from user Davis C. They left this five years ago, again, Google Reviews, where they also left a 5 out of 5 star rating. The observation reads as follows. Historically significant, the atmosphere is park-like, very calm and relaxing, good place to clear one's mind of worry temporarily. Summertime is best, still an active hospital, just not what it was. End of observation. Now those were the occult observations for Riverview Hospital, just short ones for today's episode because I just want to dive in to the alleged paranormal reports that make Riverview apparently one of the most haunted places in British Columbia. Because a portion of the grounds are still being used actively to this day, I can't imagine many approved paranormal investigations have been able to take place there. Which is fair and appropriate given that would probably be very disruptive to those who are just trying to get better. The last thing I would want while doing any kind of therapy is some dude with acid wash jeans walking around saying there was a demon nearby. Despite any recorded paranormal investigations or multiple recordings of paranormal investigations on this property, there have been many rumors and accounts of Riverview being a large active cell for paranormal activity to take place in. That could be due to the numerous list of injustices that took place to real-life people during the facility's active years, which may have taken the lives of many people far too soon and may have left some of that former energy behind. Although it's unclear when paranormal activity picked up, I did come across one website, The Ghost of Vancouver, that noted crew members and security guards on the property have had numerous weird encounters in more recent years, aka when filming has been taking place. There have been accounts of people seeing shadow figures, apparitions of former patients and staff, apparently a phantom dog of sorts, although there's not a lot of information about that, along with strange lights and objects moving on their own. Some of the staff have allegedly heard disembodied footsteps and voices, doors and windows banging randomly without explanation, along with former patient bells ringing in completely empty wards. Another paranormal account that I came across included people actually capturing this unexplainable mist cloud-like thing on camera. You can actually see it in a YouTube video uploaded by Adventures R Us, who ventured around Riverview and they uploaded this video onto their YouTube page. You can actually see this cloud thing around the seven minute portion of the video. I watched it last night as I was wrapping up editing notes for today. And yeah, it's pretty spooky. It's unexplainable to me. Like, I don't know what could have caused it. It could be something completely logical. However, to me, it just, it was very spooky. The miss was pointed out by a commenter on the Adventures R Us YouTube video, in which they actually replied with the following, quote, Regarding the clouds you saw, we saw them too while editing the video and noticed it twice around the same place. Both happened near the bottom isolation room, once outside of it and once inside. The one inside appeared to be coming from around the corner. It wasn't cold in there, so it was strange and strange that it happened twice in the same room and nowhere else, end quote. Another YouTube video uploaded by another user by the user handle of SheLANDZ had one comment posted on their YouTube video covering the history of Riverview Hospital, 
of someone sharing their weird experiences with Riverview. I obviously came across this comment and I wanted to share with you all because I found it quite interesting. And it's from user AdBucky, and that's spelled B-U-C-K-E-I-G-H. Quote, my brother used to be a janitor there. He went away for a week and I had to fill in for him for a few days. Scariest thing I've done in my life, hands down. It's 100% haunted. I'll never forget those times. Walking in the very top floor down this long hallway, doors on each side, which used to be for patients. That floor hadn't been used in years. No one up there except for me. But I always heard sounds like snickering, laughing, whispering. Watching this video gives me the chills and flashbacks to those times. It's haunted, no doubt. I just wish smartphones existed back then. I would have recorded it. Oh yeah, and the underground tunnels or whatever they are called that went between the buildings. Creepiest shit ever, especially when you're alone. I would go through those so fast, I would always hear noises but didn't dare look back, just kept walking. End quote. For anyone who's thinking of trying to get a ghostly gander at the abandoned buildings, good luck. There is security on site, as briefly mentioned, and some buildings, such as the West Long Building, are chock full of dangerous asbestos levels. That, and again, there are active programs taking place there from my understanding, so be respectful. Don't go wandering around poking around on things. I get it. I mean, I, of course, have a hankering to go check this place out, but in the same sense, I would rather go when there's no one on site and I'm not interrupting anyone's treatment because interrupting someone's treatment just sounds like an awful thing to do. I will say, though, my inbox is always open for anyone who formerly worked at the now-defunct Riverview Hospital or worked there with a film crew, as I would love to know your experiences there if you had any. Nevertheless, it's time to wrap up this week's very dark and spooky Canadian distraction. I know last week's episode was also a paranormal-based distraction, but I really wanted to discuss this location because of its history, as I personally have an interest in learning about the history of mental health care, especially the mental health care system that was once functioning in Canada. It also just so happens that interest also ties in with my other interest in the paranormal since many facilities, such as Riverview, come with a reputation of being haunted. Although mental health care has come a long way since Riverview Hospital was functioning, we still have a long way to go in terms of providing safe and appropriate mental health care to all. I feel as though I've said this in previous episodes, but just as a reminder, when discussing haunted locations where real-life trauma happened, it's okay to be interested in the paranormal side of things, but we also have to respect that someone's worst days took place here. Hence why we should always try and learn with empathy and never stray away from talking about humanity's dark history and learning more about it and telling each other more about it and not just hyper-focusing on, oh, is there a demon there? Because there's a lot more than just that. As always, I would love to hear from listeners as well about this week's location. Feel free to shoot me an email or send me a DM. If you have a case or a location you'd like me to cover on a future episode, please feel free to reach out and let me know. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. 
When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Are you looking to rep some Weird Distractions merch? Please check out the link in today's show notes for the bonfire link. It's never a bad time to treat somebody you love or perhaps treat yourself. Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.